0: Good morning. Last night I was going over my notes and going over my thoughts at the house and uh, trying to kind of get everything organized in my mind. And I noticed all this noise in the house. And I started paying attention. We were actually spending the night at my mom's house. And she has a piano. And two of the boys were sitting at the bench playing the piano. They were both playing the piano. I think they were both playing different songs actually at the same time. The TV was on and somebody was watching that. It was just really loud. I was like, okay, I try to sit there for a while, kind of ignore everything, just focus on my thoughts, focus on the word. And after about 10 minutes, I was like, there's no way, I can't do this. So I moved into the living room. So I sit down in the living room. It's kind of quiet. I can still hear all that other noise. And then in a couple minutes, Tanya and my mom they, they didn't know they came in and they sat down and they started having a conversation and talking I was like okay that's fine they're just having a conversation and uh, then in a minute here came one of the other boys and he had a phone one of the phones Tanya's phone and he he turned it on and turned on some music and had it going really loud and then I don't know why he came over and set it down right next to me <laughs> so the music was just playing right in my ear so they're having a conversation the music the TV the piano and I just realized that's it was was a perfect picture. It kind of made me laugh to myself. I I got up again and I moved to the kitchen and sat at the table. And it was kind of a a visual picture of how my mind feels right now. I really think God put the book of James on my heart this week. And um, some really important things that I think are in here. But at the same time, I feel like there's all this stuff going on in my mind. And it's all jumbled up. So I want to... Ask all of us to pray together right now, and at the end of this lesson, this sermon, whatever you want to call it, if you have heard something that speaks to you, if the word comes out, if the message is clear, please give praise to God, because in my mind, it is very jumbled up, and so it will be a a blessing from the Lord. Whatever message comes out today will will be from the Lord. Father in heaven, please be with us this morning. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in our lives. May you be honored and glorified in our speech, in our actions, in our thoughts. Lord, please clear my mind right now. Loosen my tongue. May I speak clearly and openly. Lord, let the message and the words that you have today come out clearly. Help me to speak your words, your vision, your plan for us, for our church, for our families, for our homes, for us as individuals, for us as a community, and as a body, Lord. We love you and we praise you, and we lift up this time to you, in your Son's name, Amen. So in a minute, as, as I've done maybe one or two other times, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna ask you to maybe text a couple of responses to a couple of questions that I have, but I'm also gonna say. Um, so like I said, I wanna I wanna go through the book of James, not not through the whole book, but there are a few key points that I wanna go over today, and the title of the sermon is Friendship with the World and. I I mean that title ironically. If you've read the book of James recently, you you probably remember that that is exactly opposite of James's message. Friendship with the world is not what we are called to do. And there is a verse that we'll speak about that says, friendship with the world is considered enmity towards the Lord. But I want to start off just giving a little bit of background on the book of James, just real quick. So, out of all the books of the New Testament... The book of James is most probably the first book that was written, the first letter. Out of all all the books in the New Testament, it was probably the first one written. Sometime between A.D. 47 and A.D. 60. People kind of argue back and forth, but sometime around in there. Now, there's one other book, Galatians, that was probably written around the same time. So we can't say for certain, was Galatians written first or was James written first? But, regardless... It was either the very first or the second letter out of all the books in the New Testament. So I want you to, I, I point that out because I want you to think about when you read the book of James, the New Testament did not exist. The, the Bible as this canon that we have here was not a thing. Even the Old Testament at that time was probably not completely compiled as we know it. The, the, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible... That was that was definitely put together. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those were all together. And a lot of the prophets, those were put together. But the Bible that we have right now, that did not exist when James wrote this letter. So I think that's really important because some of the things that he talks about, we have to ask ourselves: okay, what does he mean when he says that? And and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, <clears throat> So I want to start off with uh, James 1, 22. If you have your Bible uh, on your phone or or, uh, actual paper Bible, open it up to the book of James. We're going to kind of jump through a few different passages. So in James chapter 1, verse 22, I'm going to read 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard but doing it he will be blessed in what he does so my first question for you if you want want to text and answer you're welcome to he says, the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. What law is he talking about? What does he, t- what does he mean when he says the perfect law? Patrick, do you mind sliding that other one over? Does this work? Yes, it works. So any, anybody have a response? What law is he talking about when James says the perfect law that gives freedom? No? Okay. Well, I'm going to say that it's not this Bible because of what I said a minute ago. The whole Bible didn't exist, so he can't be talking about the whole entire Bible. What I think he was talking about, the law of Moses, yeah, that's what I think he's talking about. What's the other one say? The Torah. That's what I think he's talking about, the law of Moses, the law that the Israelites, the Jews, that they had. James James is writing most likely to Jews. And so they knew the law of Moses. That was that was on their hearts and their minds. They had memorized large portions of that. A lot of the men even had the first five books of the Bible, of the, of the Old Testament, that, that beginning, those five books, had the entire first five books memorized. So that's probably what he was talking about. So how can law give freedom? What does that even mean? How, how is that possible? Law is restrictions. Laws take away freedom. Laws take away rights. They, they say you can't do this, you can't do that. You can't go here, you can't go there. Laws don't give freedom, do they? Well, I think James is, is trying to tell us, yes, in fact, they do. I, ha- I had a friend um, <clears throat> in Thailand. His name was A. And he, he always told me that he really, really wanted to work for himself. He didn't want to go get a job where he had a boss and where he had to go to work every day because he wanted freedom. Is there other answers? Testing? Grace through Jesus was one of the other answers. What's that top one, Patrick? The life of Jesus as the fulfillment of the Torah. I think, I think James was definitely getting there, but he also wants us to understand the power of, being, of obedience to God's ways. Um, so my friend A, he, he said he never wanted to get a job where he had a boss and we had to go to work because he wanted, he wanted freedom of being his own boss. He wanted the freedom of doing whatever he wanted to do. And so one day we were talking about that and I was like, so what do you mean be your own boss? Like, what do you want to do? He's like, well, I don't know. I don't, want, I don't even care if I make a lot of money. Even if I just like had a little food stand on the side of the road and I just sold like chicken and rice. And I did that to make a little bit of money. And so we kind of started talking about it. And I was like, hey, think about it. If you have to, if you have to sell chicken and rice on the side of the road, you're not going to make much money. So you have to go every single day, right? You have to get up super early to prepare the chicken and cook the rice. You have to stay there all day. And if you ever miss a day or you take time off, people are gonna think that you quit. People are gonna think your shop's not there anymore and they'll stop coming. So you can't you can't stop doing it. You have to do it every day because you're not making much. You won't be able to afford to not sell. So you're gonna be working long, long hours every single day. You can never take a break. You can never have a vacation. That doesn't sound like freedom to me. And he was like, oh. Yeah, that doesn't sound like freedom. And what's interesting is that laws and restrictions, they do provide freedom because they give us direction in the right way, the right way to live, a way that is blessed, a way that is good, a way that is holy. And similar to A, wanting total freedom to do whatever he wanted, it actually restricted him. It actually would hold you back. So I want to go ahead and move forward um, to chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. Um, actually, no, we're, we're going to skip that one and go on to uh, verse 8. Chapter 2, 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So that, that passage, love your neighbor as yourself, that should be very recognizable to us. We, we recognize that right away. That's, Jesus says when he's asked, um, what's, the, what's the most important law? What's the first one he says? Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Does anybody know where that, that verse comes from? Love your neighbor as yourself? That's part of the Old Testament. So the, the Jews, the Israelites who are reading this, this letter, they instantly recognize that from the book of Leviticus. Chapter 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And what's interesting, if you look at the... I would encourage you go back to Leviticus 19 and look at that whole chapter... Read Leviticus 19 and read James at the same time. You will, see, you will see so many correlations. It's almost as if James is rewording Leviticus 19. He's putting it in his own terms, in his own, in his own words, to say Leviticus 19, almost, almost spot on. He follows the same path, the same um, outline. And that's what he says, love your neighbor as yourself. There's a, there's a story of a, a rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, who was a very famous rabbi who lived around the time of Jesus. And the story goes that a, a, a pagan, a non-believer, came to Rabbi Hillel and he said, Rabbi, if you can teach me the whole Torah, if you can teach me all of the teachings of, of God in the amount of time that it takes you to stand on one foot, then I'll convert right now. If you can stand on one foot and teach me all of the Torah, I'll convert right now. I'll believe it. And Rabbi Hillel, supposedly, he replied, What is hateful to yourself, do not do to your fellow man. That is the whole teaching of the Torah. The rest is just commentary. Go and study it. For him, for this rabbi, that was the teaching. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything was contained in that. Love your neighbor as yourself. But not just just saying that, but then go and study it. Take action. And, And that part, James is saying the same thing throughout this book. He's not content. James is not content for us to just know and believe what God says. James is not content for us to just have faith. Right? James goes over and over. He says, Yes, faith is good, but faith without deeds is dead. There is no such thing. You have faith, I have deeds, right? Show me your faith by what you do. So now let's uh, flip over to chapter 4. And this is where he starts talking about being a friend of the world. So in chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So, again, if you, if you want to respond, what does that mean? Friendship with the world, what does that look like? And that might be a little bit longer response. And if you don't, if, whether you text to me or not, I, I want you to really think about that. What does friendship with the world mean? Let me read a couple of these other responses while we're waiting. Um, somebody said, boundaries give protection. That's, that's exactly right. And I learned, I learned that firsthand um, in Thailand. I actually just had an opportunity to go to Thailand a couple of months ago. I was helping with a construction project for the, the company that I work for, and they, were, they had built this big five-story building, and the, the building was still under construction. And so we were going there to help them finalize all the work, finalize everything, and often on the third floor, so this was the third floor, plus they had a basement. Over in one side of the building, there was a closet. And when you went in that closet, there was a pretty good-sized closet. That's where they had a majority of the, like the circuit breakers and all the wiring to the building. A lot of it was coming into there, into that place. And all of that was on one wall. And on the other side, on the floor, was a, was a hole in the concrete, the floor, that was about five feet long and about two and a half or three feet wide. And there was a a full hole all the way through the floor. And when you look down, that hole went through the second floor, through the first floor, all the way down to the basement. So here was this gaping hole. And if you stepped in there, you would fall from the third floor all the way down to the basement. Nothing protecting it, nothing surrounding it, no tape, no boundary, no rail, nothing. They just weren't done. Uh, they were still going to run wires and, and run electricity and do different things, so they I guess they needed that hole for something, so they just left it open. And it terrified me because there were people in there, in and out of that room all the time. People going in and out, going in and out. And I'd see guys in there, you know, looking at the, at the junction boxes and the cables, talking to each other with the back towards that hole, just, you know, backing up, and I was terrified somebody was going to fall to their death. And so that, that boundaries... Provide protection. Boundaries give protection. Absolutely. Uh, okay, friendship with the world. Right there. Yeah. Buying into the beliefs of the world. Friendship with the world. Buying into the beliefs of the world. The next one. Living to please man and living for self. Okay, good. Next. Covenant unfaithfulness. Okay. Living in active sin. Practicing worldly ways and things. Friendship with the world is putting value in what the world puts value in and participating in what the world holds as good or right. The world as a whole is not godly. Okay, next. Choosing to make money, family, adventure your focus instead of God. Okay? Placing the value of the world over God. Okay? Idolizing self. All right? And bad company corrupts good morals. Friendship with Equals friendship with the world. Friendships affect you. Yes. Can you go back to the one, I don't know who it was, but they used the word sin. I think it's Chambers. Living in active sin. That's really interesting. The word sin is in the book of James um, nine times. The word sin or sinner, nine times. Which maybe doesn't seem like a lot, but I've noticed in our culture, in our society right now, I think people are very... Hesitant to use the word sin. Maybe even not hesitant, but, but um, they refuse to use the word sin. They don't want to call things sin. Our, our culture right now wants to say there is no such thing as sin. And I think we have to remind ourselves, we have to remind each other as Christians, as followers of Christ, that there is in fact such a thing as sin. Sin exists. There is right and wrong. There is good and evil. And sin, we should be willing to call sin, sin. And we should also be willing to move away from sin, to run away from sin, to turn and protect ourselves from sin. I want to keep reading right here. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So that idea of, of sin, and that there is such a thing as sin, and we should we should call sin sin. Um, <clears throat> I I like I, I like music. I love to listen to music. Actually my house, we pretty much have music going all the time. And I, I download a lot of music and I download a lot of movies also. Me and the boys like to watch movies and TV. And so, there's ways that you can get on the internet and pretty easily, without trying too hard, you can download any music and any movie that you want for free. So, I was in the habit of doing that on a regular basis. at one point, not too long ago, Corbin, I was going to download a movie. He said, Dad, are you going to pay for that movie? I was like, No. And he said, Well, you know that's stealing. And in my mind, I was like, oh, Come on, that's not stealing. It's just a movie. But he walked out. He didn't say anything. He walked out. And so I sat there. I was like, Phew. So I didn't download it. So then, a couple of weeks, about a week ago, a a musician, an artist that I really like, they came out with a new album. So I went in there to the computer, turned it on, and I started to download this newest album without paying for it. And I got to the part where all I had to do was click one button to make it download, and I would have had the whole album for free. And all I could hear was Corbin's voice saying, you know that's stealing. (laughs) I was like, oh man, so I didn't download it. But is stealing Is stealing a sin? Is stealing a sin? It is a sin, right? We we need to do that for one another. We need to say that there is sin. Ricky and I, we have some pretty open, serious conversations about things. If I'm allowing myself to think about things that I shouldn't be thinking about, if I'm allowing myself to look at things on the Internet that I shouldn't be looking at, and I go to Ricky and I say, Ricky, I'm really struggling with this. I'm having a hard time. Should he just say, oh, it's okay, it's not a big deal, you know, just as long as it's not hurting anybody? No, and he doesn't do that. He says, okay, you know you can't do that. that's sinful. I'm going to pray for you, we're going to pray together, we're going to talk about this, I'm going to check on you. Because that's sin, right? And that's not okay. We need to be willing to say that there is such a thing as sin, and that's what James is doing throughout this letter He is reminding us, he's reminding the people of the church that there is sin. And it is way too easy to be influenced by the world. It's way too easy to become friends with the world. I think friendship with the world, all those things that people said is great. Friendship of of the world is based on humanity, not based on godliness. Living in such a way as to be prosperous in the world's eyes, instead of living to glorify our creator by loving him and others before self. When I think of the word friendship, it's two ways, right? A friendship is a two-way street where this person loves this person and this person loves this person. There's a mutual love and fondness, adoration going back and forth. So if that's what we are doing with the world, where we love and adore and are fond of the worldly ways and the world loves and adores and is fond of us, then something is probably not right. If we, if we love everything about the world and we're trying to build a relationship with the world, then that is enmity towards God because we are accepting and, and approving of, of a lot of sin. <clears throat> um, I'm going to keep reading verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. That in verse eight, when it says, "Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts," if you jump back to chapter one, real quick, um, and that verse that I read a minute ago, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So he's talking about the law, about being obedient to God, right? And it's like looking in a mirror and then immediately forgetting what you look like. And over here in chapter 4 he says, "'Wash your hands, purify your hearts.'" Remember I told you he was writing to Jews? And when they read this, he's he's already following the outline of Leviticus 19. So they're thinking of all that stuff. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, they're thinking of that. And when he uses this phrase, wash your hands and purify your hearts, I, I think their minds went to Exodus. Do you remember all the rules and regulations that they had with the tabernacle and with the, the temple? They had to do all these different things. One of the things they had was a special basin, and the priest had to wash their hands anytime they would go inside. They had to wash their hands. And we know that that wash basin, it was a very special wash basin. Does anybody know what? They, they made that from, from gold, but you know where they got the gold to make that wash basin to wash their hands? Does anybody know? You can raise your hand. I'm sorry? Yes, but who? It was the Egyptian women, and it was from their hand mirrors. The the gold that they used to make that wash basin was all taken from the women's hand mi- mirrors. And they didn't have glass with with you know silver lined back. The mirror with I mean the, the metal was polished so shiny that you could see your reflection in it. So that's what they used to make this wash basin. To wash their hands and purify their hearts. And he had just just a few. Paragraphs earlier talked about looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like. When they read this letter, they couldn't help but think about that, about washing their hands in this basin made from mirrors, remembering who you are, being reminded, seeing your own reflection. What was it like for the priests when they would go to wash their hands and all they could see was their own reflection? They were forced to deal with themselves. And who they were. You ever do something that's really, really bad? That's, I mean, you just feel really terrible. Some sin that's just so shameful, and then you have to look at yourself in the mirror. Has anybody ever? It's a terrible feeling. Am I the only one? That that's a horrible feeling, having to look at yourself after you've done something that is shameful and sinful. And that's this this idea that James is saying. We need to move past that. We need to grow. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. Grieve more we- than what. I want you to. I want to point out real quick. In that short passage of verses seven through 10, first of all, there's ten things that he says to do. Ten laws, not laws. Ten commandments, almost that he asked them to get. That he asked them to do. I'm just going to read the ver- the verbs. To you that come from from that passage, that short uh, four verses: submit, resist, come near, wash, purify, grieve, mourn, wail, change, humble yourself. The the other there's three other verbs. One of the verbs is used with the devil. The devil will flee. He's represented as a coward, a coward fleeing. From a battle, fleeing from the scene. And the two verbs that God does in that passage, God will come near to you and will lift you up. Now think about those. I'm gonna read that list of verbs again that we are supposed to do as followers of God, as his children, as the body. Listen to these verbs, and you tell me, do these sound like verbs that the world, that the world would 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 do? Submit. That doesn't sound like something that people of the world want to do. I think about politicians, celebrities, world leaders, people in charge, others. Submit is not a word that we throw around a lot in our culture. Resist. No way. You don't, you don't have to resist anything. Do whatever you want to do as long as it's not bothering anybody. Isn't that what the world says? Come near to God. Absolutely not. No one in our culture wants to come near to God. Wash. Purify. Keep yourself clean and holy. That's not of of the world. That is opposite of the world. Purify, wash, grieve, mourn, and wail. These are a little bit different, uh, are a little bit difficult, but think about the things that the world finds entertaining, that the world laughs at, that the world thinks is fun. Those things should bring us sadness, should cause us to grieve, mourn, and wail change. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then the last one, humble yourself. That's not a word that I hear people using to describe very many sports stars or celebrities or, or people of the world. Humble is not not something that people in the world strive for. But that's what James is calling us to. All of these things. I want to end with the very last couple verses of the of the letter. Chapter 5, 19, and 20. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I want to ask you just for a moment to, to consider that maybe part of our salvation, our salvation in Christ, our salvation in God, part of our salvation is actually our transformation into the likeness of Christ. If you think about exercise, I know I know some people in here like to run, maybe like to bike, like to do things like that. Part of your transformation of getting to the point where you can run a, a marathon, that is making you better. When you're when you're working towards that goal, when you're exercising, when you're training, when you're growing stronger that transformation is actually making you healthier, making you stronger. It's not just believing that exercise is a good thing. It's not just believing that, oh, running a marathon or being in shape is good for me. No, you actually have to start working towards it. And as you do that, as you work hard, as you exercise every day, as you put together a regimen, that transformation is making you into something new. And I, I think maybe a part, I'm not don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that is what saves us, but part of our salvation, God saving us, is allowing us to be made into the likeness of Christ. Every day, as we work to be more and more like Jesus, that is that is a saving grace. Because living as Christ, living in God's ways and under God's laws and rules, that actually is good for us. That actually is freedom. That actually is a blessing. That is salvation, protecting us from evil, from bad, from hurt and pain, from the world. That is salvation. I, I, had, to, I had to start going to physical therapy. I hurt my shoulder, and so I've been going to physical therapy one, a couple times a week. And they, they always want me to do these exercises that just really hurt but I know that they're going to make me better. I know that they're going to help my shoulder heal and get stronger and get better. And sometimes obedience, following God's ways, submitting, resisting, purifying, coming near to God, sometimes that's that's hard. It's not fun. It's not always easy. But in the end, it is better. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time together this morning. We pray that... You are glorified in our lives as we go forth out into the world. May we be salt and light. Lord, may your thoughts be our thoughts. May your ways be our ways. May your desires be our desires. Lead us, Lord. Help us to have a, a clear understanding of this message of, of what you inspired James to write down. Not that we, we focus overly focus on, on works or, or saving ourselves or that we have to earn something but, Lord, that we, we recognize and realize the blessing of living like Christ, the good that that is, as we seek to resist the devil, as we seek to be purified by the, by the blood of Christ, and as we make choices to follow you, as we actively and intentionally choose righteousness each day, that that is a blessing. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your Son, Christ, in his name. Amen.